Last week, we observed Jesus entering his hometown, Nazareth, which was the second time after he stepped into his ministry. Now, you know that Jesus grew up in Nazareth with his family, but he had only been back there twice, the scripture records, in about two years. Now, that's an important piece of information. It had been about two years, and Jesus had only visited uh, two times. But what we did observe quite clearly as Pastor Scott brought that word is the people of Nazareth, his hometown, they rejected Jesus because they could only see him through natural eyes. They could not compute his ministry and his miracles and his teaching because Jesus was raised in their midst. And the Bible actually tells us in Mark chapter six, verse one to six, that people were offended at Jesus. They were saying to him, your brothers and your sisters are here. You grew up here, man. Who do you think that you are? And so they were offended at Jesus. And as a result of this, he could not do many miracles there. There was no atmosphere of faith. There was nothing to come into agreement over. It says that he could only heal a few sick people because they had such a lack of faith to the point where Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. And verse six, that portion of scripture closes by saying this, he was going around the villages teaching. So Jesus and his disciples left Nazareth and they begin to go on this circuit. Now what you might not know, and we're gonna find out as we continue to study the gospel of Mark, is these are the final months for Jesus and his disciples to be in the region of Galilee. This is it. And so this is sort of this last ditch effort for Jesus to reach as many people as possible. And they're going to slowly make their way towards Jerusalem in the days and the months ahead. And so it makes it very important for Jesus to do here in this passage that we'll read today, what he intended all the way back in Mark chapter one. And we see it very clearly in Mark chapter three. And that was as he designated his apostles that they might be with him, that he would send them out eventually. So now he's going to give them what they need and delegate to them authority and power so that they can reach this whole region as many as will listen and come to Christ. And that's what we read about today. And here's what it says uh, in verse seven. And he, Jesus, summoned the 12 and he began to send them out in pairs. And he gave them authority over unclean spirits and he instructed them that they should take nothing for their journey except a mere staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belt, but to wear sandals. And he added, do not put on two tunics. And he said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave town. Any place that does not receive you or listen to you, as you go out from there, shake the dust off the soles of your feet for a testimony against them. And they went out and they preached that men should repent. They were casting out many demons and anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. For the last two years, Jesus had been teaching and training his disciples to do this, to continue the ministry that he began. And so they've been observing him for two years. And I want to remind you, Mark chapter one, we read something that is very important to the passage that we're studying today. And it says this, it says that Jesus actually chose his disciples, those that would follow him. You might remember where he would just walk up to these that would eventually become his apostles. He said, follow me. And they chose to follow him. And they were being trained during that time. And then when we go to Mark chapter three, what you learn very quickly is that he actually separates the 12. 
And it says that he appoints or designates the 12 to be his apostles. They had already been following him for some time, but now he actually appoints them to be his apostles. But he doesn't send them out at that time. But it was his intention. Look what Mark chapter 3 and verse 14 says, just to remind us. It says he appointed the 12 so that they would be with him and that he could send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. So his intention down the road after more training was that they were going to do now what Jesus is sending them to do in Mark chapter six. So this is a real fulfillment. But notice the progression. In Mark chapter one, he calls them to be his disciples. Disciples means learner, it means follower. In Mark chapter three, he appoints them to be his apostles. Apostle means sent one. You have the learner and you have the sent one. Now in Mark chapter six, he actually sends them. Do you see the progression? And this took about two years for them to go from the learner to those that were now sent to do what Jesus had been doing. And he's sending them into the region of Galilee. And we've spent most of our time around the Sea of Galilee at this point and that's going to change in the weeks ahead, especially as we, as we move beyond this passage. Jesus is sending them to, into a region of about 30 miles. This is the region that they're gonna cover. And you might wanna know how many people probably live in that region at that time. About 80,000 people, they would estimate. Now, if you were to bring this into practical terms today, this is like going on a short-term mission trip. Like if we determine today, we're gonna go on a short-term mission trip and it's gonna be local. And this would be like Kent to halfway through Tacoma. The only difference is, is that there's about 600,000 people in that region, that same amount of space as there would be in 80,000 people in the region that they're covering. And so when Jesus sends them out, he gives them authority and power, and he wants them basically to just do what he had been doing. And two years seems adequate with Jesus the Christ to, to replicate his ministry, especially if he gives you all of the things that we're going to talk about. So I want to talk through some principles that I think don't all apply to us today, but some of them certainly do. I mean, there's things that we can see and observe, and there's things that we can glean. And I'm going to give you five principles that we take from the passage. And the first one is this. They were sent with authority in Jesus' name. Verse 7, he summoned the 12 and began to send them out in pairs, and he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Now, it says here that Jesus paired the apostles up, which is probably in keeping with Jewish custom. If you've ever been on a short-term mission trip, it's good to have a buddy. I mean, that's just sort of a practical thing. You've got a buddy, you've got accountability, you've got encouragement. We all sort of need that. It keeps us on mission. It keeps us from straying off into distraction and other things. But there was a Jewish custom that you read about in Deuteronomy 19, and Jesus brings it up in Matthew 18 for another reason. But he says that a testimony would be established by two or three witnesses. So he's not sending individuals at this point. He calls a group and he establishes their mission, sends them out in pairs. And when he does that, one of them is going to preach and the other one is giving validation to the testimony, which means they're not just some rogue person, some individual that's just espousing the kingdom of God has come. They have witnesses that are with them. And I believe there's something to that and probably more even to this as to why he would pair them up. But what they're doing is they're representing Jesus. They're doing his ministry. They're coming in his name. And so he has to give them his authority. And when we look at this Greek word, it's used about 50 times. And the original word means the right 
to exercise power. They had to be given the right to exercise his power. And it's very similar. And sometimes you'll hear like an illustration for this word authority in the Bible. It's like when a police officer is sworn into service and they're given a badge to represent the authority that has been bestowed upon them to act on behalf of the governing laws of our land and to represent that city that they, that they are coming in the name of. They're a police officer for Federal Way or for King County or State Patrol. They don't have a badge to come in their own name. They're not doing their own thing. They don't have authority for themselves. They come in the authority that has been bestowed upon them. And it's very similar. Jesus is sending out his apostles and he's giving them authority, which is the right to exercise the power. They're coming in his name. And, and it's so important that we sort of capture this because we don't come in the name of self. We don't do our own mission. We don't have our own message. This isn't about us. This isn't about what we want to do. Jesus gave us a mission. Jesus, Jesus gave us a message. And this is what we have to stay faithful to. And churches that do not stay faithful to the mission and the message of Christ as they drift, they cease to actually become a local church. You have to fight for the centrality of the church to be focused and fixed on the gospel of Jesus, to be focused on the mission of Christ. But when he gives us power and he gives us authority, we come in the name of Jesus. Another maybe silly illustration is that I'm an author and I've written a bunch of materials and occasionally someone will ask me, hey, can I use your materials? And I always say, no. That's just a lie, actually. But people will ask me, can I use your materials? I won't say that at the 1130, by the way. That was terrible. I was hoping for like a, a, a laugh, but that... I was sick last week. So like feel bad for me at least, you know. All right. But sometimes people will ask me, can I use your materials? I've, I own a copyright for a bunch of stuff. And yes, I will authorize someone to use what is mine. You understand? I'm the author and I authorize them to use it. Jesus is the author of life. He authorizes us to speak his words. He authorizes us to use his power. He authorizes us to go into our world, which is his. And when we go into our world, we represent him to the degree that we are aware and intentional to do so. Friends, I want you to know, you maybe didn't think this when you woke up today, but you woke up a missionary of Jesus Christ. You don't have to cross the land. You don't have to cross the pond. You don't have to go to a country you know not. You woke up a missionary of Jesus. Now, we may not be the best missionaries in the world and we're all growing and we all are growing and representing him, but he gave us authority just like he gave the disciples authority as well. Now, that's very interesting because it says he gave them authority over unclean spirits. Demons have power, but they do not have authority. Jesus has authority. Demons have power. They have the ability to bring a level of power. It's evil power. It's counterfeit power. But when Jesus gives them authority, they can exercise that authority over their power and reduce their power to nothing. And this is amazing. And so they have authority. The apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 uses a different kind of language, but a similar concept. He says this about the ministry that he has, but also the church has been anointed with. He says, we are ambassadors for Christ. Now, maybe you don't use the word ambassador. So an ambassador was a representative of the highest office during that time in history. 
Now a king would appoint a trusted official to take his plans of his kingdom to another country. Uh, a king would send an ambassador before he would go there. This is what he would do. But that ambassador had to be a trusted person. It's not like he would go out and choose just anybody. He wouldn't choose sort of a loose-lipped person. He wouldn't go, you know what, the local jester, that's the person I want to send, right? The person that never stops talking or the person that always misrepresents everyone, the person that exaggerates, like that's the one that I'm going to choose. The king would choose a trusted person because when they came in the name of the king, they were representing his wishes. They were representing his plans. They were representing his heart. They were representing another kingdom. And that, friends, is what we are today too. We come in the name of Jesus. That's why we don't wanna defame Jesus. That's why we wanna live a life that is sober, knowing that people are watching us, knowing that people, we might be the only Jesus, physically speaking, that people see. That's why we say those kinds of things because when we speak, we don't want our life to be out of line of what it is that we're trying to say. We are ambassadors of Christ and we are pleading with people that they be reconciled to God. And I believe the church has this same anointing, which we will read about in about nine months in the book of Mark. They were sent with authority in the name of Jesus, but they were also sent with power to heal the sick. Now, you won't read it in this passage, but in the parallel accounts, Matthew 10 and Luke 9, it says Jesus gave them authority, but then he also gave them power, authority over demons, power to heal the sick. In verse 13, the apostles were anointing sick people with oil, and they were healing them. Jesus gave them this authority. He gave them this power because they were representing him. They weren't just doing their own thing. He didn't leave it up to their own ability or their own skills or their own gifts or how, how good the day was going to be for them or their eloquence of speech. He said, here's authority and his big brother power, and I want you to go represent me, and I want you to do it well. I want you to do exactly what I have been doing and therefore you're going to need what I have. And this word power in Greek is the word dunamis and it literally would mean power to do the miraculous. Now they had seen Jesus do the miracles. They had seen Jesus heal the sick. So when he called them to go out and do what he was doing, they automatically thought we're gonna heal the sick. I think today we, we don't think like that sometimes. We, we're, we're not in the Western world. We're not great at evangelism. And we don't always think that we have power. We don't always think that we have authority. We kind of, often what we do is we look at ourselves. And if you look at yourself, it doesn't take very long to get discouraged, especially the older you get, right? It's just like, I mean, if you look down and you look at your navel, if you navel gaze, for me, it doesn't take very long to get discouraged. Is anybody with me on that? Right, you just wanna get discouraged, just go look in the mirror for a while. And people spend so much time and so much money trying to like escape time, right? Good luck with that. It's not gonna happen. We're all going the same way, people, all of us. But the reality is this, is that if you only look at yourself, then yes, you should be discouraged. But this is a beautiful picture of us looking at Christ when he says, I want you to go preach the gospel. When he says, I want you to go make disciples. When he says, I want you to go reach people. We've got to stop looking at ourselves and start looking at what Jesus gives us right alongside of that commission. And the disciples didn't dispute Jesus at all. They were like, yes, we just need authority and power. And they went. Some of them were extroverts. Some of them were introverts. Some of them were loudmouth, some of them were quiet, but they both 
had authority and power. And that makes the difference in our witness. They had power to do the miraculous. This last Wednesday night at Ignite, our Ignite gathering, which I encourage you to come to, 7 p.m., we're going through a series on the Holy Spirit. And last Wednesday, we talked about the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Notice in this passage that Jesus gave them power, but it wasn't abiding power. In other words, after his resurrection, he told them, I want you to wait in Jerusalem for what? Until you receive power. And the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. In other words, right now, I want you to stay. When you receive the power, I don't want you to stay. I want you to go. So there was something that they needed that Jesus told them to wait for. So they get power here, but it's not abiding. So there's coming a day where they need to receive the baptism, the activation of the power of the Holy Spirit. And we explained that on Wednesday night. I encourage you to listen to that teaching if, if you're uh, interested in doing that or you're looking to understand to be baptized or immersed with the power of the Holy Spirit. And this to me is one of those factors that not all the body of Christ agrees on. But friends, let me just tell you, I remember when I came to Christ and then I remember when I got baptized with the Holy Spirit and they were not the same thing. And then we need to wake up every day and say, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Would you fill me with power? Not because we wanna be powerful people and feel like we're spiritually powerful and everybody else knows it, but we wanna walk in the representation of Jesus and we're just not enough. I mean, you know, we're just not enough to do what Jesus says, but he gives us enough and that's the point. So when we wake up in the morning, we say, Lord, I pray that you would fill me with the power of the Spirit. I mean, just don't let the day go by without asking God to fill you. That starts with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of power. It's an activation of Jesus's life, not in you, but flowing through you. And this is what we contend for as a church. I've had the privilege of praying for, I don't know how many people, but lots of people to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you, it is a game changer. I'm convinced of this. And it's not just because I see it scripturally, which I do, but I have seen it change people. Like it's what took the apostle Peter denying Christ. Remember, like he's got people asking him like, oh, I saw you with the Nazarene. You were with Jesus. And he's like, I don't even know the man. Remember that? That's, that's one side of Peter. But then on the day of Pentecost, when the power of the Holy Spirit comes, Peter's the first one to answer everybody's question. Everybody's like, what is going on here? It looks like all these people are like drunk. They're so excited. What's going on? They're Pentecostal. But he's like, what's going on? And Peter's like, do, 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 do. I mean, the same guy that denied Jesus when he was just merely asked if he knew him is now the guy that's preaching and 3,000 people are getting saved. I mean, this is an incredible thing. He went from coward to courageous. And friends, I would say that it is the power of the spirit that changes that in us too. Now, it doesn't mean we're supposed to be these bold people when we walk around everywhere, like just randomly and, and meet random people on the street and just, I'm a, I got power, you know, it's like, zap, you know, be healed. And, and no, I mean, this isn't TV stuff. <laughs> Somebody said, thank God. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> you got to hold that one back a little bit, you know. This is why we can't do dialogue. I would, it, I would, it would ruin me, you know, because this stuff just goes through my brain so fast. But um, whatever your world looks like, your neighborhood, think about this, your neighborhood, your workplace, some of you, your school, the places that you go, the families that you have, it takes power, it takes courage to talk to our family members, doesn't it? It takes courage 
Let's just call it courage, but it takes courage and power. It takes power to cross the thresholds of our fear. Stop thinking about going to the supermarket and randomly talking to that rando citizen, right? I'm just talking like the people that know you, the people that you see, the people that you're around, just those folks. How are we going to reach the 600,000 people in this 30-mile radius that we all live in? How are we going to do that? It isn't going to be because we have a good spiritual day. It isn't going to be because a couple of us are loud and proud about Jesus. It's going to be because all of us in a daily way rely upon the power that Jesus gives and we cross those thresholds of our reluctance and our hesitation on a regular basis. And it's going to look different in your life than it's going to look for mine. And sometimes people will say this to me, and I just want to get you out of your excuse, all right? <laughs> you're welcome. People will say, Ben, you're evangelistic. And it's like, yeah, kind of true. I'm not saying it's not. But they think it's easy for me to just go talk to people randomly. It is not easy for me. You know why? Because there's this sin of our culture called worry, hurry, and busy. And they're like three brothers that beat up on all of us all the time. It's like, worry, pfft. <laughs> hurry, busy, bam. And, and so whenever you're going to even like a family gathering, like you're always thinking about other things. I mean, it doesn't matter who you are or what your family structure looks like. We all have a mind focused on a lot of other things. We're living in a, a time, a culture that is very distracting. And so it gets to all of us. And, and those things alone can take the extrovert right out just as much as the introvert. But what I want to tell you is that God will give you power. And can I encourage you today to ask him for it? Because what we do is we excuse ourselves. is what we do. It's so easy to do that. Well, I'm just not like that. But Jesus will give you power. And what if you knew that he would give you power if you just asked? I mean, James makes it real clear. How many of you love Brother James in the Bible? I mean, just, he's Jesus' brother. He walked with Jesus like, I know the answer to this one. And so he says, you have not because you. All right, you guys already know. There you go. The third point is very, very important, and he's, this is where we would look at, they were sent with confidence in God's provision. They were sent with confidence in God's, look at verse eight. He instructed them that they should take nothing for their journey except a mere staff. Now, I wanted to just sort of, uh, I brought me a staff today, guys. Amen. We're not that kind of church, you know. I mean, it's like, it's not a discipline rod, Okay. Don't bring, another thank God, here we go. All right, this is gonna be a ripple effect, you know. This is the new thing at Northwest Church. I'm gonna hear it all the time. I just, in the foyer, walking around, thank God, you know. <laughs> it's the 2022, thank God. Yeah, we should thank God, amen. <laughs> he says, no bread, no bag, no money in their belt, but to wear sandals, and he added, do not put on two tunics. And he said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave town. It's amazing to me. Jesus moves into a time of instruction where he tells his apostles what they can't take for the journey. Now, typically when you go on a mission trip, and I've led many of them, you tell people what they should take. Jesus gives them a list of what they can't take. Now, that should be a list as well, but I just find this really interesting. Now, there's a discrepancy that I want to clean up because in Mark's version of this, you have Luke 9, Matthew 10, and Mark chapter 6. In Mark, he says, you can only have a mere staff. But in Luke and Matthew, it says you cannot have a staff. And so it looks like there's a discrepancy. But really, what I believe this is, is they're not far removed from shepherds. And we probably haven't read Psalm 23 for a while, but in Psalm 23, David writes this. He says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
Now, this isn't the type of staff that he was talking about. It would typically have a, a crook on the end of it. And the staff was used to stabilize. It was a walking stick. It would stabilize. And it would also be used, it was sort of like a, a, a symbol of compassion and kindness because the, the shepherd would take the staff and pull any sheep out of a thicket or something like that. But the rod was used for something else. The rod was a representation or a symbol of power. Listen to this, and authority. Oh, what did Jesus give to his disciples? Power and authority. You following me? The rod was for power and authority. It would ward off anyone that would try to come against them. I mean, they're going to go through these dirt, windy roads, and they needed a level of protection. And you know what Jesus says? You can't have the rod. You need to put down the protection. You need to you need to allow me to be your protection. I've got you. And so they could have a staff. Jesus is like, you can have a staff, but you cannot have a rod. And that's what I believe cleans that up for us. So you're welcome. Amen. But he goes through this like laundry list. And I just wanted to sort of play this out because in my head is sort of, I, I tend to think about Peter. Are, anybody with me on this? Like I might feel a little bit like Peter. And so Jesus says, he says, you can't have a bag. Now, the word bag here is not like luggage, okay? So this is a little bigger than what he would be talking about. It means knapsack. Uh, sometimes it would be said as beggar's bag. And they would have a bag and they could put a little bit in it, but they would use that to beg with. That's what uh, the literal rendition of this word would be. It's a beggar's bag. And so you cannot take a bag with you. And so Peter's like, I'm, I'm just thinking of my, my boy Pete here. And so Peter's like, he's going to bring all his other stuff. He's like, fine, I'll carry it. And he's got, he's got all of his stuff ready. And so he puts the bag there. I can imagine him. And then he says, and you can't take any bread with you. Here's Peter. I can't take any bread. And so this is, he's got two kinds of bread. I just, if Peter's like me, he's got two kinds of bread. He's got the bread you use for sandwiches, you know. And then, uh, by the way, this will be in Connect After Service. So just so you're welcome. But he probably had some sweet bread too. He probably had one of those behind his back. He's like, you can't take any bread no sweet bread, Peter. He's like, oh man. And then he goes, then, he, then Jesus says, and you can't take any money. And so Peter's like, well then I can't, I can't even buy bread. So he's got to put, he's, he's got to put his money. And then the, you know, the other accounts say, nor can you have any copper. Copper would be like similar to our change. It'd be like the penny. So you can't take any money and you can't take any copper. And he's like, and then I bet you, this is just, this is just me. This is just me thinking. I bet you right away, Peter's like, he's putting on that second tunic, man. He's like this. He's like this. And Jesus goes, and look what it says here. It says, and he added, Jesus added, do not put on two tunics. <laughs> Take him a staff. <laughs> Jesus says, no extra clothes. The tunic would be something that you would use uh, if you're going to be in an open-air environment, you would cover up. It'd be something to cover you from the elements. You can have the clothes on your back, the sandals on your feet, and the staff in your hand, and that's all that you can have. What's Jesus teaching them? He's teaching them to have confidence in God's provision because this is the life that they're going to have to learn to be accustomed to. Now, we look at this story, and I think a lot of us, we just separate ourselves from this story. It's like we live in America, and it's not hard to have a level of provision. Even if we're the working class or working poor, even people that are poor in our country usually have enough. And so we don't translate this very well. But I would tell you that Jesus also, in sending us and commissioning us as disciples of Jesus, 
as an apostolic church, the sent ones of the Lord, the church of the Lord Jesus in the 21st century, 2022, I still believe that some of these principles will apply and we are missional people and we're going to have to learn how to rely with great confidence on his provision for everything that he gives to us. But I think part of the problem is for us, if I were to be honest, and maybe you can relate to this, is that the reason that we don't function in power and the reason we, churches don't often have that evangelistic fervor is because we're not laying enough things down in order to pick up what he's giving. And the truth is, is that if we're not going to lay some stuff down, I don't think we're gonna pick up the power and authority. I mean, we can ask the question, why don't more people get healed and more people get saved? And why don't, we can ask those questions, but the reality is what if we're just carrying so much stuff that we're not aware of what God's even doing? And it desensitizes us and we're so distracted and it's just part of our culture and we sort of accept it in Western Christianity. And then we look at missionaries like they're special people. I mean, you, when you're a missionary, you, you go to a land that God calls you, you learn the language, you learn the customs, you learn the culture, you take whatever you know, your gifts, your skills, your abilities, and you sort of have to have a lot of courage. It's like, what are they, superhumans? No, they're just regular people. And they give what they have to the community that they decide to serve that God calls them to. And what is the difference between them and us? They wake up in the morning knowing they're a missionary. It's a mindset. It isn't a lack of power. It isn't a lack of commission. It isn't that they're extroverts and we're introverts. It isn't that they're more courageous and we're not. It isn't that. It's a mindset. Friends, I want to tell you, it's a mindset. And this is why the enemy territory is to distort what the church's purpose is, what we're supposed to be doing. And so what, we end up, what churches will end up doing is we'll have a house on a block and not even be sensitive to the neighborhood that we're in. And we're not even relevant to the community that we're in. And Jesus is flipping the script. Jesus is changing that. I believe that 2022 is going to change all of that. And I'm not just saying that to get you excited because most of you don't look convinced yet. You know, you don't. You just, you just don't. You know, um, I thought a lot, I've thought a lot about COVID. And I don't know if we're out of it or into it. I, I, don't, I don't really know. And, but something that, happened two years ago, we, many of us were here for that, is we did what everybody did. We shut our church services down in March of 2020. And it was just me preaching to seats, which is great. And many of you were online and thank you. You know, I mean, it's just, we, we did online too. It's kind of hard. It's hard to do online unless you're used to it and disciplined. You have to be used to it and disciplined. You really do. Uh, but it's harder. Worship is different. Teaching is different. The fellowship isn't there. There's a lot of things that are different. And some, some of you have to do that. And, and, and I respect that. But we all had to do that for a season because we didn't understand what was going on. We had a virus and we're trying to figure it out and all of this stuff. But I remember we opened back up in May and June. We opened with outdoor services and we start, you know, we did what we could as a church. All right, I won't go through it. But one of the things that was going on in my head was that when you strip the church down, you take away everything, all of the environments that we trusted in for our spirituality. What do we have left? What is our love like for each other? What is our connection like as a family? I mean, can, does the disagreement get in the way and then it just separates us? I mean, it was just a reflection. It was a constant prayer in my life. Like if you take away the spiritual environments that we trust in to facilitate our spirituality, our programs and our church services, do we still have enough connection to call each other? Do we still have enough connection to still have a pastor and leaders and, and groups and, and, 
and connections and relationships and prayer partners. And I mean, do we still have that if you take away our environments? Is it become, has Christianity become environmental enough in our own lives, in our own heart, that we literally have that type of environment in our home? Or is it only where it's facilitated? And I was constantly thinking about that and I found myself more worried for people. And so I did what a lot of us did. I was calling people all the time. In fact, I call more people today as a result of the last two years, which I think is a, a beautiful thing. I mean, I plaster my cell phone, 425-239-6528. You want to call me, call me. Do it at your own risk. <laughs> you know, do it at your own risk. You know, people say, you give the cell phone number out. I'm like, I pray for the people that call me. I was like, you know. And my, my point is, is that I just, I was concerned that if the world or the tragedy takes it away from us, what then is left? Here's my next question, though is what if the Lord wants to strip us down of some stuff though? What if, what if what has happened was not the Lord, okay? I mean, the virus was not the Lord. The death and the disease and all that stuff was not the Lord. The Lord didn't do that. But what if the Lord was using it to wake the church up and say, guys, what's ahead? I need to transition you in such a way that you're not yet ready for. And if you don't follow me, I'll give you a staff. You can have your sandals, all right? You can, have, you can have your basics, but I want to take some stuff away from you so that you can just focus on reaching that 30-mile region that I've put you in. And I want to wake you up to it. And the, one of the ways I want to wake you up from it is by taking away the stuff that you're trusting in. See, what if God is doing some of that stuff in our life? And one of the reasons why we're not maybe rising to the occasion is because we keep trusting that we're going to go back to the thing that facilitates our spirituality. And those things, friends, many of those things are gone. I want to tell you, if you feel a pressure in, in the world today, I mean, we've gone through a transition of senior pastor in the last three years, right? And I know you love me. You don't have to tell me, but you do. But we're going through a lot of transitions with all kinds of programs and all kinds of things. And I, I need to tell you something. As, as I'm gonna, Bridget and I, we're going to be here a long time. And I'm carrying, thank God. Well, I almost need an organ right now, you know. Mm. We're going to be here a long time. And I want to tell you something. I, care, I believe that I'm not a high, just a hired hand. I, I care, there's a future. This church is, has a future. And we have got to reach this city. And right now, because COVID has shut everything down, it's, we've got a lot of work to do. And I'm up for the challenge, but that means change. Now that doesn't mean everything's gonna change, but there are a lot of things that are gonna change if we're really going to turn towards what God is doing. And I don't have the answers. I'm not saying I know everything that we're supposed to do, but I know that we're in a season right now where we're letting go of a lot of things. That's what we're in, and that's hard. That's hard to do. It's hard, harder for some of us than it is for others. But I just want to tell you, maybe God's in that. And if you haven't considered that, I'm asking you to do that. This is not something I'm thinking about or I want to indirectly say to our church. I literally pray about this stuff. I, I'm living in it. I eat, sleep, and drink the condition of our church. I do. There's not a night that goes by where I literally don't pray for all of our church. I pray for divine healing. I pray for divine health. I'm not a perfect person and I haven't done everything perfectly, but I want to say that as a church, we have to be focused on what Jesus is doing. And part of what he's doing right now is pruning us so that we can reach the community and the region that we're a part of. I believe that's what God is doing. And he's making us missionaries to our region. And I think we haven't been ready for that 
entirely because of, of how things were going. When things are abundant, when you have enough stuff, you don't even think about God's provision. When you've got everything, you're just carrying it around. Like I've got enough bread, I've got enough money. I can pay my own way. I don't have to, have to trust in and rely upon God in the ways that he's calling us to in the future. And I'm telling you, he's setting us up to rely on him in ways that we haven't had to yet. And other people all over the world are accustomed to this, but this is something that I believe he's leading us toward. And I, I believe, I'm not a prophet, but I'm just, I'm giving you a prophetic sense that I carry with me regularly. And you can't talk me out of it. I mean, people try, they try, they try to talk me out of it. I'm like, I'm carrying the future in my heart. Some of us are carrying the past in our heart. And those are memories and those are beautiful and those are wonderful but I'm carrying the future and I'm seeing something that I think the Lord is calling us into and I'm laser focused and I'm asking him for evangelistic fervor, not that we would all be the same and do it the same, but together we would do it. And as the Lord gives that to us, we would. Now, Jesus sets them up for even more. And this is where it sort of plunges. They were sent with an awareness of inevitable rejection. Everybody smile. Any place that does not receive you or listen to you as you go out from there, shake the dust off the soles of your feet for a testimony against them. I love it. Jesus, can I just carry this thing the whole time during the sermon? You don't mind? Jesus flat out tells the disciples that their message and their ministry is going to be rejected. And they had just seen it because in Nazareth, they rejected Jesus. So it's not like they weren't used to it, but I think you go out on a mission trip and you go out to serve God and you're excited and you think, man, we've got power, we've got authority, we've got the best message in the world. Who doesn't want Jesus? And then you go out there and you find the first person you try to minister to doesn't want Jesus. And you're like, how can you not want Jesus? And you get into this like argument, you know, not that you would ever do that, but you're like, how could you not, what's so wrong with you? Jesus says, people are gonna reject you, but here's what I want you to do because they're going into these Jewish towns and there's a concept that they understand about shaking the dust off their feet. This was something they understood because the rabbis would teach this, especially to merchants. So if you were a Jewish merchant, you would go into Gentile regions. You didn't have a problem selling them your stuff, but when you left that Gentile region before you come into the Holy Land, the land of Israel, you have to shake the dust off your feet because you don't wanna take anything into our land that is of a pagan, that residual of pagan territory, right? We wanna be clean in our land. And so you need to shake the dust off your feet. But look what Jesus is doing. He's taking the custom that they have and he's turning it now on Jewish people who reject the Messiah and the message of the kingdom. Now this would have been offensive and I believe that Jesus' disciples would have probably like had to do a double take. He's taking this custom and he's saying, look, the people that you go to in these Jewish towns that reject the message that you're sharing, it is just the same as paganism. That's what he's saying. I mean, he's saying, shake the dust off your feet if they reject you. One of the reasons that we don't share the message of Jesus, our testimony, or even engage people with an evangelistic fervor. One of the reasons, and however that looks, is because there is a real fear of rejection. There's a fear of rejection. We don't know what people are gonna do. We don't know what people are gonna, I'm not gonna carry this the whole time. I feel like I'm gonna try to hit a baseball or something. We don't know what people are gonna do, how they're gonna act or speak. And I think there's this unfortunate belief in Christianity sometimes where, it was, where it's like, hey, if you just love people, if you just love them and you just do acts of service, you know, they'll come to Christ. Friend, that's not true. Jesus was love in a body and we killed him, right? I mean, there's no, okay, let's get an agreement here. Is there anybody more loving than Jesus? All right, and we crucified him. Do you know what that tells me? 
That tells me you can, have the mo- you can be the most loving person, but the minute you talk about Jesus as the reason or the source of your love, you're gonna get rejected to some degree. Now, some of us get rejected for other reasons based on who we are, where we're from. They're, 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 we have oppression in our world. It's very real for some of us, for sure, more than others. But all of us as Christians will experience persecution to a degree if we're living out the principles of Christ. All of us will experience that. Everybody is on, is on the same ground when it comes to that. And I think there can be a fear for us to represent Jesus in any way because of the rejection that comes. But I just wanna tell you, like this is par for the course and Jesus equipped his disciples. He told them in advance, this is gonna happen. I want you to know this so that you can accept it up front. Some things we have to accept up front so that we don't fear them the rest of our life. We have to accept that there's a level of rejection to what we're going to do so that it's not a fear that we have as we continue to walk out faith in Christ. Like right now, if you're facing a fear of rejection, if you just feel like, hey, I don't wanna do this, and there are a lot of reasons why we wanna get out of being a witness of Jesus, why we disqualify ourselves or discount ourselves, And one of the reasons sometimes, for me at least, people will say like, you know, they'll, they'll tell me like, you know, you have no problem being evangelistic and you'll just go up to people at the store. And that's just not fair and it's not true. I think, honestly, one of the reasons that we do that is we separate ourselves. We look at people that are good at it and we say, well, I'm not good at it. We automatically do that. Well, how is Jesus calling you to reach people then? See, it isn't about being like each other. It's about being who we are, anointed of the spirit to reach the people in our world. How does, is God leading us to do that? We have to be led by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that true? We have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, but there's no way to do that if we're distracted or we're busy or we're allowing the fear of rejection to grip our hearts. And let me just tell you, you will deal with it on some level. You'll deal with it on, on some level. And the final point that I want to make is they were sent with the clarity regarding their message. Look at verse 12. They went out and preached that men should repent. I mean, isn't that a message? (laughs) Isn't that an unpopular message today? They went out and they preached that men should repent. The kingdom of God has come and they're calling people to humble themselves because Christ the King is now here. The kingdom of God is here and it is in your midst. And they preached repentance from sin and self-management. You can't follow yourself anymore. You can't follow your old ways. You can't follow your sins. You can't continue the path that you're on. The king has come. Like, we've got to wake up. Like, the time is upon us. Like, it is now that we repent from the path that we were on and turn to Jesus with all of our heart. And they were unashamed. Jesus said, preach repentance. The kingdom of God is here. I mean, isn't it unfortunate that in our day and really for 2000 years of church history, the message continues to get compromised and that probably is one of the reasons why there's no power to the message. See, I just want you to think about this for a minute is that if you take the ministry of Jesus or you just wanna call it Christianity, if you reduce Christianity to something that it's not, there's no power attached to it. But if you take it for what it is, and you seek to do what God says. There is power attached to the message. There is power attached to the mission. But the more we reduce and compromise what that actually is, the less we will find any results that we read about in the Bible. And it's easy to justify not living as a Christian, but sort of just maybe maintaining our spiritual environments, right? That's easier to do. But the reality is, is that God's calling us far beyond that. And the first thing is, it's like, you have to repent. See, the disciples had to repent first. They had to surrender and submit themselves to Christ or they would have never been in the disposition to just accept what Jesus was telling them. Do you notice how he did, they didn't dispute him? I mean, have you, parents, have you ever tried, you know, in early days of raising your kids, you try to get your kids to go down for bed and they just dispute you all the time. They're like, no, I'm not going to bed. And then you sort of 
develop an aggressive form of tucking them in. <laughs> Just put the cover over and tush, 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 tush. <laughs> It's not legal, but we still try. We do it. No. But like they dispute, like I don't want to go to, I don't want to do, like they dispute because they haven't accepted that this is bedtime. Right, they just have, there's something they haven't accepted. And so they're trying to fight against the inevitable. But when you accept something in advance, when you surrender yourself to something, you don't fight it when it comes to do it, t- time to do it, you don't. You yield to it. And this is why the disciples, they're not saying anything to Jesus. I believe they're excited to go out and be sent by Jesus to do what he says because they've already surrendered themselves. And so they're going and preaching the same message that they had to yield to also. They preached repent because the gospel is not a moral message for decent people to do a little better for their fellow man. And as a result of good deeds, we'll receive a good grade on the scorecard and get some earthly and eternal rewards. That's not the gospel of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus is give your whole life because he gave his whole life. It's surrender everything that you are, your time, your talent, your treasure. It's surrender everything. And it's be changed and it's be transformed. And whatever he needs is whatever we give. Whatever he wants is is whatever it's about. And this is why they went out preaching repentance and they saw the power of God flow. The gospel of the kingdom is that Jesus the king came to restore all things to its created order. In order for this to happen, he had to exchange his life for ours. He lived a perfect, sinless life. We didn't. He died in our place so that we could live again. He rose from the dead, proving he was God's son. And he promises to those who surrender to him in faith and repentance that they too would rise and be with him for eternity. This is the promise of salvation. But this is also something that costs us our whole life. And I would tell you this, and I just want to close by this with this thought, is that do you see the progression in this uh, particular passage. Mark one, he calls them as disciples. Disciple is a learner. Mark three, he appoints them. He specifically intentionally tells them, I didn't just want you to follow me around. I want you to become an apostle, a sent one. There's coming a day where you need to take what I'm doing and what I'm saying, and you need to do the same thing. And I want you to get ready. He appoints them as apostles. And in Mark six, he sends them out. By that time, they had two years of training and following and listening and learning and watching, and they knew the day was coming. Friends, what if sometimes Christianity in the West or even modern day church doesn't look anything like what we read about in the Bible because we don't make it from the following to the sending. We don't transition from following to sending and literally maybe in our hearts, maybe we should be honest and say, I wonder if there is something in me that even thinks about the sending, thinks about the going, thinks about the serving, thinks about the sharing. It feels like to me, a lot of times what we do is we get ourselves out of this and we leave it for missionaries, but the the word of God tells us we're all ambassadors for Christ. We're different and we're gonna do it differently, but we're gonna do it together. And it isn't just a program that we can do this through. It's in every way that God calls us to. Our whole life is a vehicle to be sent by Jesus into a world that is dying, that is desperate, that is dark, that needs the gospel just like we did. That's what we're talking about. But I believe we have to make that transition from being a follower to a sent one. It's easy. Theologians are like, well, there are no apostles today. And we argue over this this type of stuff. We argue over what there isn't today and what we can't do today. I mean, to me, that's just a bad way to do theology. 
I mean, there's a reality to like wanting to dissect the word of God to make sure that you're accurate. But isn't it interesting that there's so much theology today about how bad this is and about how much we don't have and about what we don't do and about what we can't have. And it's just amazing. It's very deflating. As we close though, I I felt this from the Lord just as I was praying, I was thinking about, I think the Lord calls us to give stuff up, to lay things down. And I think maybe in this season of time, perhaps we'll never go back to the way things were. I don't want to. There's some things that have changed in me through the last two years. I don't want to go back. I just don't. I want to be more loving, more compassionate, more evangelistic, have more evangelistic fervor. I want to reach our city more than I ever did. Our region, you might live in Kent or Auburn or whatever. I want to reach your neighborhood. I want us to reach more people for the gospel. And there's a reality to this message today in that, listen, friends, like, it is heaven or hell, right? And we still believe that, right? That's Jesus talked 25 times. He talked about that there actually are rewards in the next life. Like there really is something that we are working, not just for, like not salvation, but like we're working towards. Like there's something about the next life that we're living this life for, really. And he doesn't want us to be distracted. And I think, I think today is a good day to just, realize Jesus might be calling us to let go of some stuff so we can take up what he's doing in 2022. I don't have that answer for all of us, but man, I'm seeking it. I'm asking you to seek it with me and that we would align ourselves together and go after it for all that we're worth. We're missionaries, amen? Just say, I'm a missionary. You don't sound convinced. Would you stand? Let's pray. Here's what I want to pray. Come into agreement with me on this prayer, right? I'm asking God to bring a revival that goes beyond the threshold of the church doors. And I'm saying this to you. I don't believe that it's really revival unless it goes outside of these properties. It's just not. It might be something, if it just is contained in my own heart, but it doesn't touch my home and it doesn't touch everywhere that I go and all the people around, it's not revival. Like let's cry out to God for a revival that leaves the church building because what we pray here and what we say here cannot stay here. Amen. So we're praying for revival that the Lord would send us. Father, thank you in the name of Jesus for the call and the commission of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray over your church today. I pray over us as a people. And I also pray for the churches of this region, these 30 miles and how the circumference of Auburn and Kent and Des Moines, Tacoma, Milton, Edgewood, Federal Way. Father, I pray that wherever we live in this region, I pray, Father, that that the commission of Christ would embolden us today, that the authority that you give and the power that you give to represent you, I pray that we would so desire to represent you well, and you would help us to do it far beyond where we've ever been before. I ask that for me and for our family. I pray that you would give us that intercessor's heart, but also activate us to reach as many as we can with the time that we have left. And so thank you for this passage today. And I pray that it would inspire and it would instruct and give us practical ways that we can reach more people in our own lives and also as a church. And I ask for that kind of revival in the days ahead, that you would come upon us in great power, that we would reach more and teach more in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen, amen. 
Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Northwest Church, go to our website, nwcfoursquare.org, or download our app in any of the app stores by searching Northwest Foursquare Church. Church.